Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hello on this beautiful springtime day. It's June 1st. 2019, and this program repeats now Thursday morning at 6 o'clock, and that happens to be June 6th. And today's subject revolves really about our new moon in Gemini. It's going to be 12 degrees and 35, 34 seconds. And that's June 3rd, this Monday. Essentially, a few thoughts just I'll present about the new moon because our guest has also focuses on this wonderfully, and it'll be a great conversation, I know. But this particular degree at uh, 12 degrees, 34, is just one degree away from the Gemini-Venus star point. That's a whole nother energy, but it's about Venus. Venus, in its eight-year orbit, twice goes in a pentagon between five points goes in one direction that goes retrograde in the other direction. And th- these points last for 100 years. Gemini is one of them. And at the moment, next year, it'll be 13 degrees and 35. And Venus will act- actually be the retrograde, meaning it's going to be, well, the retrograde energy rethinks, refeels, reassesses, reevaluates, w- whatever that concept, it kind of returns. There will be a certain, the reason I'm bringing it up is it will be a moment that we might reflect back to this time now. So with that said, just know that because when one experiences energy, it's, oh, it's hard to necessarily be too objective, but it, you might make a few notes of it because it is a powerful time. Every new moon is powerful. And with this particular one, because of some of the aspects It really relates strongly to our title, which happens to be Mercurial Dreams. You can elaborate beyond that, but part of the process of thinking involves dreams and what direction are we going and what's our philosophy. And that, in some ways, might be interesting to note next year. Where were we at in some of those conceptual thinkings that we have? Because the dynamics are different. For one, and this is astrology talk, there are nodes and they're abstract points. There's a south and a north. The south is the entry point that we come to this life with through in evolutionary astrology, many incarnations. But regardless, you could say that's where we're, our packaging is from. And the north node is what we're integrating, the opposite. Well, it hap- And they change every 18 months. There's many cycles in astrology, as astrologers are realizing. But for those that are interested in listening and learning, really the study of these cycles and their interlocking uh, double signatures and and ways that they speak back and forth. So the point is, is that right now the North Node is in Cancer, and that has a lot of prominence with this new moon in Gemini, uh, because Mars, which is right next to, which is our energy planet, is right next to, well, I don't want to go too much into the 
a chart. We'll go into that. But the fact is bringing up a little bit about the, the next chart in a year, which happens to be exact to the day, June 3rd, 2020, when the Venus point, that means that Venus and the sun are conjunct exactly at that moment. Uh, the nodes will have just shifted to be north node in Gemini. So it'll be more our thinking than our gut, you might say, in some ways. And how our actions and how our perspective is all interrelated. Okay, now that I've thrown out sort of a wide arena, just for you to kind of remember there's tidbits, we'll get down to the now. And with that, I'll introduce our guest who is Petra Tauschert. She's been on the show twice before, once for Virgo on September 15th and once for Pisces. And that was March 9th of this year. And Petra is a certified evolutionary astrologer. She writes a blog called Heirloom Magic. And she writes a newsletter that focuses on the new moon and the full moon and gives consultations. And that involves an astrology astro book that she creates. She is an artist. She's a master gardener and teaches those instructions. And most of all, too, Petra has a musical uh, astrology uh, a radio program, a podcast, and it ha- it's called Astroscape. You can find all this out if you go to Talk Cosmos and find bio, and there's Petra with all this information. It's K-O-W-S-F-M. So hello, Petra. This will be fun tonight. Hi, Sue. Yeah, we just saw each other at NORWAC. That's Northwest Astrology Conference. It's once a year, every year. On It was sold out this year. It was amazing. I know. The 35th annual was the first one that sold out. Yeah. So it's it was so filled with lots of different information, and I've been reading. But I don't know. We could begin from so many points with um, the new moon, and I know you do a newsletter, so I'm eager to hear your thoughts. I don't know if we should say, first of all, that Mercury, which rules Gemini, you know, it goes around the sun three times a year, and it goes retrograde three times a year. So it um, it's a significant energy, you know, always Gemini in our chart. And it's our... Well, it's true. I mean, aside from the luminaries, it's the next, the next planet out in terms of our personal experience, our personal perception and filter of of reality of life you know it's our conversations it's our negotiations it's our track transactions and you know it correlates with the third house which is our neighborhood it's like the people that we encounter on a daily basis so mercury is a very immediate energy so wherever it is it's definitely i mean the moon is the most personal part that's coloring the day but then what mercury is doing any aspects that it's making and the sign that it's in are very very significant yeah, the, that reminds me, the area, the house that it's actually located in and, and the Merc Gemini cusp are factors that people can realize because that's where this new moon is going to be located, meaning that's going to be aspecting other parts of their own sun, perhaps, or any other planets that are in Gemini or the mutable, mutable signs. And partic- right, so if you're looking at your chart, if you know your chart, I mean, you can see which house contains 12 or 13 degrees Gemini in it, or if you're using the whole whole sign house system, just 
the Gemini house. That's going to tell you where this new moon is birthing in your chart. Right. Let's see. When it comes to Gemini itself, one of the... Uh, did you happen to listen to Jason Hawley talk about twins? Oh, I did. It was such a joy. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that idea that twins uh, look for their other twin. It's like a, 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 as if the twin is on the horse. You know, they rule horse, horses, not to be too abstract here, but it does, there is some identity with the horses rather than the opposite Sag that man is half horse, half man. And so it's looking for that other um, what signifies part of them. Right. The classic twin mythology that you can find through a lot of different mythology is that the twins are separated and then reunited. And also that one of the twins is mortal and one of the twins is immortal, which is speaking of the mortal and divine parts of ourselves. And they alternate. I think that was another aspect because as again in the story, being mortal, Castor, the mortal one, died through, was inevitably was killed. And the uh, Pollux, the immortal, so grieved to lose his other half that it was um, decided that they could be united. And it changes differently in different astrologies. Because even if you look at the constellation, you know, they're together, but then Castor goes down past the, the horizon before Pollock. So I think that's where some of the idea that that uh, one shares, that they exchange. But it's also said that they both go, they share the immortal, the uh, Hades, or the, Im the mortal. And then the time the, in the underworld. Yes. Well, with Gemini, you know, essentially the one divides into the two so that the one can know itself and talk to itself. So it's it's multiplication through division. And so the one becomes two and then the two becomes four and the four becomes eight and on and on and on and on. And it's really kind of a fractal nature. And, um, you know, the twins concept in general helps us explore because we all have Gemini in ourselves. You know, it's, we can abstract this into the, the Geminis, but everybody has this part of them. And so wherever it is that you have Gemini in your chart, that concept helps you explore all the possible versions of yourself as a way to grok the whole. It really, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm slow here for the words, but what I'm trying to say is that Gemini also labels and that makes me realize, of course they would. The more things are divided or fragmented, which our world that we live in, this physical world is fragmented of, you know, every um, tables to walls to whatever we name. But that would be a great reason, you know, to have that multiplicity, you know, to be able to name it. Right. Well, you know, when you look at, you look at the ignition of the year with Aries, you've got Yang, fire, cardinal fire, and that's that's the spark, the ignition of the personal experience, you know, getting out of the Pisces, like ocean of everything and being like, oh, me, whoa. And then <laughs> we go to the yin, Taurus, and then we're establishing ourselves. What do we have? What do we use? And then we flip the back vessel. to the yang again with Gemini. And then it's like, well, what do we think about things? What do we call things? What do we name things? And we know that each sign has a survival strategy. And for Gemini, it is to 
to navigate and orient. So that mercurial, that legendarily mercurial quality that Geminis have is their capacity to land in, a, in some place they've never been before and immediately assess the lay of the land. What are the wind currents? What are the weather patterns? What is the language? What is the fashion as a way to adapt and survive? It is very true. I have a great deal of mercury and it's always illuminating to realize the necessity to realize your terrain, you know, where to uh, know the territory. That's very true because it gives one that sense of uh, what's possible and, and, and how to go forth. Right. And curiosity really is the driving engine of Gemini. You know, what else and who else is there now? You know, it's the mind and the intellect and, and it's the yang side of Mercury, like the, in the traditional rulerships, which I've been studying lately, um, the, each, each planet has two signs, two expressions, a yin and a yang version. And so Gemini is the yang side of Mercury, which it's going out and gathering information and disseminating information. It's not retreating in and organizing yet. That's what Virgo, the Virgo part of Gemini is going to do. I mean, of Mercury is going to do. It is external. It does form itself to the environment rather than Sag, the opposite that makes the environment form to them. Yeah, this is a good point. It's, there's always that right. polarity. I remember Maurice Fernandez, our teacher's example of Gemini is the, let's see, what is it? The Zulu who gets dropped in Times Square and has to adapt. And then Sag is the Zulu who gets dropped in Times Square and expects Times Square to adapt to them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> vivid. Very vivid. It's so true. So in this particular chart, it's most interesting because the sun, you know, and in the new moon, for those people, it, it involves the moon and the sun that are conjunct at that exact moment. And it happens to be on the West Coast at 3.02 a.m. this morning. Right. And, and it's worth mentioning that a new moon is always sun conjunct moon and a full moon is always moon opposite sun. Exact. Very good. So... For Seattle, at any rate, it happens to be in the second house, although I don't know what it is in California where you are. Um, actually, I think I have this chart with putting the sun on the ascendant, so let me change that really quick. And for yeah. those out there, that's also a very interesting way to look at uh, delineation, you know, to understand. I was reading a chart with somebody who didn't have a birth time, so it was left over from that. Um, it looks like it's in the third house in California, mm. just, just in the third house, which is, of course, the mercurial associated Geminian house. Yeah, and here it would be second, but it would be uh, discussing the form, you know, one way of, because Taurus is that vessel, that spirit into form. It's amazing how every sign, and it's not amazing, because spirit is part of life. And in our world, we don't always consider that. But in astrology, I mean, I don't know if it's always considered, but it seems to me it's not always talked about. But in astrology, it is. And like in the first house, as you were bringing up the fact that spirit is that spark that goes forward to break away, to separate, to become. And then the second, the spirit becomes part of the vessel, fills the vessel. And here in the third, spirit and form have a dialogue. They, they alternate, they, they discuss, you know, and, and go ahead. So 
right well, and mm-hmm. we've got sun and moon and mercury i mean mercury's at the latter degrees of gemini but still that's that's a lot of gemini with this new moon it is and it's and i always think about this time of the year as it's such a i was just saying this on my radio show using the metaphor of aries is the spark where the seed cracks mm. and little leaves emerge first and then Taurus is where the radical the root extends down and the leaf growth the basal leaf growth establishes itself and this is all to support the Gemini time where the aerial parts shoot up and the flowering happens thus all the pollination which is a metaphor for Gemini you know in its social garnering of names and people and places and information and connections and all that and we're rising up to that peak of the solstice and you know the cardinal signs initiate and the fixed signs hold and then the mutable signs break down a season so we have the you know divided into four we have that three that cardinal fixed mutable play out four different times throughout a year and at each point they're rising to a solstice or an equinox so we're building up to the summer solstice right now and we will reach the pinnacle of the solar year in the north yes i love the words crack radical i love it shoots (laughs) you know and it really makes me realize that okay if you're in the third whether it's a house i mean speaking as an archetype the gemini not gemini but gemini uh, it, it really, if you're going to be circulating with identifying, you've got to know what you're identifying. You're identifying all these flowers. It's like you're in this, some kind of a garden, you might say. could be a desert one. It could be a alpine one. It could be whatever. But still, right. you know, it gives Gemini some... Gemini is the taxonomy division of botany, the naming. Yeah. So, yes, having, and I'm noticing, too, with Mercury at 27, that's exactly opposite the galactic center. Of oh yes, it 27 is. Sag, which means Jupiter, which in a sense it is an orb. It is opposite Sag at mm-hmm. 20 degrees, meaning we're our awareness of our belief structures, of visions up and beyond, um, greater thought, and that's what we're doing, one could say. Yeah, way. and we're kind of in the... Um you know, we're in the yin phase of the Jupiter transit because we're at the retrograde stage. So we've been very forwardly expansive with this Jupiter in in rulership transit that only happens once every 12 years. And then I think just about a month ago, it's began its important and integral retrograde period. And I believe that will be until August. So it is kind of an in-breath right now in terms of that large expansive polarity point to Gemini. So it's a little quieter, I guess you could say in some ways. And after it goes direct, then, you know, that arrow will shoot forward and there will be like a huge Jupiterian Sagittarian theme. But right now it feels like the Gemini polarity point is looming large. I think for a very important reason, I'm glad you really expand on this idea. And expansion, of course, is an idea of Jupiter. But here, here is this inversion, because really, as I brought up with next year, um, this new moon, because one forgets one year to the next. It's like, what was happening? But, totally. You know, and there's so many changes, significant ones, as we know, the culmination of which we haven't even brought up, but. I will just briefly mention, because I'm sure it'll come up again here, of Pluto and, well, the south node in Capricorn, along with Pluto and Saturn. 
So and and Sag is going to be lead, joining that after its cycle because when you said twelve years, you know, it goes twelve years each year. It goes around the zodiac, but Sat Pluto next year, not Pluto. Think so. <laughs> Jupiter, yeah, Jupiter yeah. plays a significant factor next year. I mean, it's forming a new philosophy, and mm-hmm. so this is time to really reassess and be thinking in those you know when you say it's retrograde and bringing mm-hmm. our attention to that it's for a couple of months that's a long time yeah it is it is a long time yeah and you know it is right now neptune okay well actually it's yeah, in a t-square yep we're because the three of them and a t-square folks is when there's 360 degrees in a circle. Divide it by four, that's 90 degrees. And there's an orb. You know, nothing is exact. There's energy. This is all energy, vibrational. And so it affects wider, especially when you talk about certain planets like Jupiter and ne- Neptune that has no boundaries. That's one of its characteristics. And Jupiter that is always expanding. You know, the orb can be bigger. And so right now, Jupiter is more or less opposing this sun and moon in opposition of awareness, and then in the middle, which is tension on both sides, is this collective unconsciousness of Neptune. Yeah, it feels like it's definitely time to to dream. Mm. Like you're saying, just that where we'll be... Well, actually, I wanted to ask you a question about what you were saying in the intro. So a year from now, we'll be at the Venus star point, which is inside the Venus retrograde. Is that, in, is that correct? It will be, because I noticed that in order to be conjunct, the, and the sun, of course, as you and I know, but just for the audience's sake, never goes retrograde. It's always going forward. But the planets from our point on Earth looking out, which is the point of it, appear to go retrograde. And from that, that's our experience. And so, yes, Venus, and I hadn't checked just what that, when it begins and how, but it is retrograde in order to be conjunct. So it will be retrograde. And I know that with the Venus star point, in eight years, it repeats each of those signs twice every four years. And in one direction, they're all direct. And in the other direction, they're all retrograde. So it must be inside that Venus retrograde uh, cycle. Yeah, I want to say that it's the peak point, although I don't, I can't say for sure, but that's, that's what I remembered that that when the sun meets with the planet, that that is the peak point of the retrograde. That could be. Let me look at this, especially if it's in between the nodes. Let me look at the chart for a minute. But here are we doing a little research. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see. Which are, are we Do we have a at? Mars retrograde next year too? Are we because sometimes they're in different years, but since we're taking this year off, I think we have both again next year. Well, it doesn't. I don't see it at that time. It'll be. It's not noticeable. Although it will be, what six degrees from Neptune, it'll be in Pisces, so it's going to be kind of a confusing uh, time. Now it's going to be quite a year. I'm actually going to look it up and see. And it I is think square, and and Mars is square. The Sun and Venus at that time. That's right. Mars is square. And yeah, but now what were we asking about? We were asking about. Well, we were looking to see if the Venus, if the Venus star point is the midpoint of the Venus retrograde, and I am 
confirming that yes, we have a Mars retrograde next year in Aries. Oh, so it'll be right after this. We'll have we'll experience like mid September. Okay. Well, it'll be there's many significant changes, and some of them are um, how to interpret. You know, so next year, if one has maybe a little journal and takes some notes of where their thoughts were next year with all the different evolutionary changes, one might see where some of the tensions are that they're really kind of putting into practice some of the th- theory that they're they're considering now. You know, that's one way I look at it. But um, at any rate. Yeah, agreed. Well, and I think that just the Neptune square right now brings the, like you were saying, the, the need to dream in what's next because you know, the goon squad, that's what I've been referring to, the Saturn-Pluto <laughs> K2 conjunction. It's so intense and it's so heavy. You know, it's like Einstein's theory when you see the image where there's like the bowling ball <laughs> or something in the middle, you know, where like space-time bends around things. Oh, yes. I don't have the words very well, but that's just the, the the sense that I get from this conjunction. And it's just, you know, there's like cue the Darth Vader music when they march down the hall. And so the Neptune piece feels really important because we're dealing with reality with Saturn. So it is what it is. And it's the, you know, the things that we can't just get around. We have to like negotiate with directly, but at the same time, what beyond that, there's always the subtle energies. And when we have Neptune square Jupiter, like we, we have the traditional rulers of Pisces and that is the sign of dreaming. And then, and then if we just look at the isolated Neptune and Pisces square to all the Gemini planets, we know that that is asking for a different type of orientation because the normal one isn't available. So it's asking yeah. to bring in the dream time and the fairy realm and the other, other ways of navigating, that those are as important as any other form of navigation at this point. And it's very pure. Neptune yeah. in its own sign, close to the middle, 18 degrees. Uh, Jupiter in its own sign at 20 retrograding, kind of going back to that, you know, in Sag. And then even Mercury, the ruler of the sun and the moon, in its own sign of of Gemini. So really they're talking through their own self to each other, elaborating on all the versatility, you know, the the yeah. possibilities. The I know, it's, potential. it's amazing, all of these these domicile planets. I meant to say um, Jupiter and Neptune being the traditional and the the modern rulers of Pisces. And then, well, speaking of that, because there is, again, until Uranus was discovered, um, just for the audience's sake, Saturn was the outer limit of everything, and, it is, and that's really what it represents is, is our structure and our reality. So, um, But it's sextile, uh, meaning it's in yep. that com- sextile is 60 degrees, and it also mm-hmm. is a... Well, it's been related to Gemini also as a communicator. It's like a network fashion. It's like, okay, let's talk. We can talk. We can work mm-hmm. this out a little bit. And so it's mm-hmm. sitting right between the two on the square, Neptune and and Jupiter. So uh, that's sort of interesting that they're m- yeah, making it form. Is. Mm-hmm. It is, and especially as Jupiter is moving forward. I mean, right now it's moving backwards, but as it's you know moving towards the conjunction with Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn moving towards their conjunction. Which will be next January. Right. Oh, I'm getting the signal. 
We will <laughs> this is with Patrick Tauscher, Talk Cosmos on eleven fifty KKNW. You can on Seattle or online app. We'll be right back after a short announcement. take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the period of Gemini. By leaving a cycle based on physical form, integrated through spirit, the energy of Gemini connects spirit with matter, focused on communicating and defining the external. Gemini is a mutable air sign signifying flexibility. Gemini duly focuses upon teaching and learning in order to synthesize the world one lives within. Hello, this is Marie O'Neill with Padma Life Coaching, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, where we discuss the meaningfulness of our roots in the stars. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. Hi again, this is Talk Cosmos 1150 KKNW on our Talk Cosmos. You can find that and this is June 1st, being repeated on June 6th, and I'm talking with Pedro Tauscher about our Gemini New Moon. And there was one little thought that I was going to mention, that it seems like this on June 3rd, which happens to be, let's see, what time? I had the time. Oh, the New Moon? Oh, yeah. 3.02 a.m. That's right. But in this, and the energy, it seems to be taking action, wants us to take action with our personal processing of home and our emotional priorities, you know, what with the, the uh, North Node in Cancer. But that opposes this, as we were just talking about, the Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn with the South Node about deep structures and our fears and resistance and h- how we are going to make some of these changes, you know, with working with them more than, than resisting. Right. I mean, that's basically what we have to work with, like our voluntary willingness to make some changes in, in, in the interest of continuing to foster and nourish life. Because as we know, if there's just growth, 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 that's actually cancer and that will exterminate life. Just the same that death, 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 death will, you know, it's, it's just as bad. Yeah. So we have to have a balance between the two. And we know that we're born and we know that we die and we know that every living thing also goes through that pattern and that that's the design. And so that on a fractal scale is available conceptually across life all the time an in breath and out breath, a heartbeat, you know, has both of those poles. So this heavy South node grouping is really asking us, what are you willing to get rid of to make space to allow for life to flourish? And to realize that, there will be structures, there will be dynamics that have outlived, I think you've probably said that word, but outlived their need, their, their service. They're no longer producing a, a, a productive life. They need to be let go of. Although I was just reading and reminded that if you have an earth sign, earth sun sign, or maybe a moon sign that's around, uh, well... 22 degrees, I guess, of 
of the planet. Well, it could even be, yes, 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 we'll stick with the, the Saturn talk that we're talking about. It, it could be empowering it, whereas if it's a cardinal sign, which it is a cardinal sign, that's where, again, you know, it's either cardinal action, it's consolidated, fixed, or else it's mutable, flexible, changing, then there's tension with those cardinals, like Libra. It happens to be squaring my moon. I was suddenly aware of that. How's it going? Well, it kind of helped to realize that. Yeah, sometimes it sneaks up on you. Yeah, and also they happen to be located in my fourth house. So mm-hmm. I've known it was in my fourth house, and I have given, a, a, and my moon happens to be with my south node also. Mm-hmm. So there's so many dynamics, but I'm realizing that in some ways it's almost like wait and see because I have been giving a lot of thought about, well, what is it? Personal psyche and and your foundation and your seed. and What sign is your moon in? Uh, Libra. Oh, that's interesting because I know you just broke your arm recently and that Saturn... Capricorn, you know, that's bones and the, yeah. that square maybe had something to do with your the bone break. So much, I know. And when you really talk about deep things, about when it's your psyche, it, mm-hmm. it, there's many levels which I find revealingly I'm grateful for because, you know, after you live enough time, it's like you want to make the most of the time you have. So why mm-hmm. let things be obstacles and revising um, patterns is really essentially helpful. But with Spoken that, like a true mutable. Yeah, but it is <laughs> tough sometimes, you know. And I and I wonder what's really ahead. There's some really strong um, aspects that are pointed my way. So when you say how is it, I think it's really a matter of learning how uh, how I feel, connecting with my story, and being willing to show light because if you have neptune that's the other part of this neptune like it's in my first house sometimes i wonder do i really see myself so <laughs> seeing mm-hmm. you know some of the shadows of mm-hmm. oneself which is really plutonian is uh, a little shocking at first but then it's like okay fine now we're gonna deal with this you know <laughs> breathe deep <laughs> continue <laughs> yeah exactly chop wood carry water yeah that's it so again, it is it is helpful to get some insight. I think astrologers or someone was reading my hand at Norwalk, and that was interesting too. It seemed to uh, verify some points that I knew that at first I resisted. It's amazing how we tend to re- want to resist information, but <laughs> well, even that's kind of a Gemini split. Having somebody read your hand, you know, it's like another facet of yourself. Because, you know, back to the Gemini theme, I've had Geminis prominently in my life forever. My younger sister is a Gemini. My childhood best friend is a Gemini. My first love was a Gemini. My Saturn's in Gemini. And what I've always noticed about them is that they're such sparkling gems. And all of those different facets catch the light in a different way. And, you know, like the shadow version of that, the extreme shadow version would be schizophrenia. But a healthy version really helps helps us and them to better understand who they are. You know, we all have the angels and the devils inside of ourselves. So there's just a matter of 
making friends with everything and kind of moving around and being like, who are you? Who are you? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Well, and, you know, we've got the Mars in Cancer. It's it's in an applying conjunction to the North Node, and that's imminent. That's I'm not sure when it gets there. I think maybe it's not until, let's see. No, yeah, it happens pretty quickly, actually. It happens right about the full moon, it looks like. Oh. So that's when things start to get hot, you know, geopolitically, like Mars on the nodes. It seems like just about always something big shows up with that. And then we're going to be entering eclipse season right about that same time. So this feels a little bit like the calm before the storm. And Gemini isn't very calm. <laughs> well, that's true. It is active because it's mutable and it's trying to figure things out. And that particular full moon, I pulled up that chart because it's always an important factor. And the, for right, other people, yeah. And, seed, and then that's the, the culmination. And the full moon, just for other people's, because there's some non-astrologers, is always in the opposite sign of the sun. So it'll be in Sagittarius, and that happens to be June 17th at 1.31 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. So, yes. And Mars in Cancer, you know, amazingly, that throws you right back to the moon. Mm-hmm. It sure does. And our stories, the moon of our stories. But it's very... And, you know, mm-hmm. what are we defending with that Mars? What stories are we defending? That's elegant. Our, pers- our personal stories are what make us us. Protecting and, and defending, yes. Yeah, without that, we would just be, you know, in a robotic universe. So what is our journey, our story, our, what inspires us to, to move? You know, what do we care about? And what do we want to both offensive, offensively and defensively protect with this Mars and Cancer, although it's a little more defensive than offensive. Actually, well, it's a lot more defensive than offensive. Who am I kidding? <laughs> oh, is that because, well, it is opposite Saturn. So that right there, it's pretty significant. But, and Cancer, to remind people, is really your own rhythm, your own processing. So in some ways, it's really wanting you to step to your own tune, like beat that drum, you know, dance your uh, two-step or whatever it is, you know, put the music on. Do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is liberating, just that motion. And that's another thing. I think there's a reason to be unsettled. There's a reason to kind of, uh, as we were talking about trickster last week on cosmic collaboration, both the two of us, it's that uh, shifting the vision from what you think you see to not just what you think you see, but what you think you need to see into some other reality is better for us in the long run. Right. Again, the visioning. Yes. Back to Neptune. Neptune is going to be with us for another seven years. It's really like the backdrop. It seems beyond everything. I think it might be the last planet to be really changing into a, you know, that's in its sign now that takes the longest to wait to go to the next sign. Well, we finally passed the halfway point. You know, it's it's going to retrograde and go back to, I think, 15. But the fact that we've made it to 18, well, that's, you know, we're pretty far. Well, it's been squaring my son, so <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it will go back. 
Yeah. And it dissolves. It's quite significant. We also have, um, you know, helping, helping out the goon squad, helping relieve some (laughs) of the tension of the goon squad. We've got the Venus and Taurus in a pretty tight trine to Pluto and to Saturn and the South Node. And that's helpful just in terms of remember the self-care. Remember that no matter what goes on in a day, you can still take a bath and pick a bouquet of flowers and eat some fruit and be kind to yourself as a way of being kind to everybody because self-care does radiate outwards in our lives. And Venus and Taurus is always reminding us of, to be in our senses, to be in our body, to invite spirit in through through the pleasures of what it means to be in a body and have five senses. Now, is that in the new moon that you're looking at? Of course, it's That's also... in the new moon. It's probably in Gemini by the time we get to the full moon. It is. It is. In fact, it's almost right exactly where it's at 10 degrees, and this is 12 degrees. So it's 2 degrees. So in some ways, what you're saying is is what we are thinking and dreaming, our mercurial uh, refashioning of our dreams and our visions and our possibilities at that time, we'll put heart. Heart will return to that spot, maybe. At 10 degrees, it's sort of like a little signature reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See. It seems, I'm just, let's see, it, looking, okay, there's the full moon and the new moon, because they're every about every two weeks. But this seed, it's a seed time. I guess that's one idea that seems so general that we didn't really maybe pause right. on it much. But it... it. I mean, it's exactly what it looks like if you're learning about following the moon. It's the new, you know, the dark moon is the dark moon. We don't see it. And that's the dream time. And then the new moon spark is that tiny sliver, that tiny crescent. And that's the inception of... The inception of the visible light is the inception of the new cycle and whatever it is that we focus on and call in with the new moon, then it's going to continue to grow as that moon grows. I mean, it's an immediately visual reference. We can look up and be like, how's it going? Like, oh, look, now it's a Cheshire cat smile. Oh, Mm. now it's an orange slice and reaching all the way to the fullness. And that is where everything is, you know, so full, so full, so full. And then the cup spills and then we slowly lose the light and can do it again and again for a really long time. <laughs> but wait, this is a subject I was almost almost thinking of for next uh, archetype, which will be cancer. But right. The, because the nodes are in, but the fact is the new moon is relevant. The, the north node being in cancer means that the, the moon all year is really significant. It doesn't change until 29 degrees Gemini until just about when the Venus star point happens next year. Anyway, that'll be 29 degrees Gemini will be the North Node. So that means all these, like you're bringing up the point that, you know, the the phases of the moon, really significant for us for the whole, for for another 12 months. They're going to alter, they're going to make different adjustments all through our chart. In some ways, it's, well, it's not really mercurial, it's cardinal because the moon is, well, no, it would be all kinds of things, wouldn't it? Because the moon changes a new sign every two and a half days. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing for 
again, we're jumping to your next month, but the cancers are, you know, they're different people every two and a half days. There's somebody that has a cancer ascendant. It's every, every, you know, it changes often. Right. But I'm thinking it will for all of us starting even this month. It's relevant because the North Node is in cancer and can't, the moon rules cancer. So from that standpoint, you know, we, yeah, it's still very significant. So when you were talking about this, for people to recognize like the new moon and the full moon, just this every two-week pattern with the moon, as you were saying, going through the crescents and the quarter moon and the different uh, phases is relevant to, to how we might process our how we're integrating the direction, our, our self, our tempo, our personal tempo. You know, it keep, it'll keep changing because of this North Node in Cancer. Right. It puts a natural emphasis on the feminine, on, on women, but men cycle too. So it's just that concept of cycling mm, and going from empty to full to empty to full to empty to full. Oh, I love this. Yes. I like all people and that's a good analogy, empty to full. Yeah, and back to Saturn, you know, with this dreaming factor that we brought in because of the energies of Neptune and Jupiter, Saturn sitting right between, it might be mitigating, but also perhaps in one sense it's getting both Neptune and and, uh, Jupiter on either side are able to work with the fears that maybe are associated with Saturn, come to think. Mm. Mm-hmm. and try to expose those and reformat them. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like they're flanking in a helpful therapeutic way. Oh. Like, you know, the, the bonification that the proximity of Jupiter brings to planets and the, I don't know, I guess the transpersonal dispersion of perspective that Neptune brings. It's so wide, and I and remembering too about music. Now you do a music show. It's a wonderful show, folks. I mean, it's every two weeks. I think on the even Tuesdays at ten o'clock. Is it's that it? The second and the fourth Mondays of each month. Okay. So it'll be like for Gemini. It'll be about Gemini musicians. But the idea of hey, we have Neptune right now. Put on the music. You know, let it yeah, totally. kind of jiggle our brains and our feet it it shifts the dynamics it does well music's kind of like this like the sense of smell where it seems like it bypasses the normal processing and it takes us to somewhere else yes yes it does even the music itself the words too there's so often i love a song and i know the music and then i'll find out the words kind of mean what i thought they the song meant you know? <laughs> but i wasn't really listening yeah. to the words <laughs> Yeah, you can grok it just from the feeling of the song mm-hmm. often. Yeah. And it's so necessary. Again and again, they, they speak of music as that language that is our innate poetry of our soul, you know, or something like that. Thank goodness for music. Yeah. I mean, some people learn language through song. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I learned French a little bit through a French song I had to learn once. You know, I could... Well, and, and just thinking of the oral traditions that predate oh, writing, boy. you know, how like spoken word and song helped to keep the memories of the different 
peoples. When one thinks about it, it is just incredible because it wasn't until 5,500 years ago. It seems like a long while, but Sumerians, 3,500 B.C., that any kind of documentation happened that went and finally evolved into writing. But then the printing press wasn't until when? I think the 1600s, 1500s? I was going to say the 1500s. 1500s. I'm not sure. That was just no, I think the- you're right. That seems better, which is akin to our Internet. And so being able to share and write. But, yes, oral language, um, telling stories and the memories. and the 1440. Mm, that's even earlier, 15th century. Right. It would be interesting to look at the charts of the printing press and the internet, you know, when whatever those nodes, whatever chart you can cast for those and just look at anything that would correlate just because they are such significant points in terms of human communication, you know, the, the human management of media and information. Yeah. As, nodes would be important because the outer planets weren't discovered at that point not until 1700s although they're there in the background um always well yeah i mean i've been really taking the deep dive into traditional astrology after studying modern astrology for a long time and just the fact that the zodiac was developed based on the seven visible planets is very profound even if you work with modern rulers it's really worth taking some time and checking out what's referred to as the thema mundi the chart of the world the birth of the world and just seeing how elegant that system is and then knowing that that's where we are coming from. You know, it's like everything's going to continue to evolve, of course, but the, the, there's a very beautiful system that isn't really lacking anything. It's just we've diversified it more when we brought in the outer planets, you know, whether you use them as rulers or you use them kind of akin to fixed stars because they don't move very fast. However it is, there's you know, there's lots of astrologies, but I've just been very taken with that traditional rulership theme of Mundi lately. Well, at good timing, too, particularly with all these, this emphasis on Capricorn. You know, it is a tradition. Mm-hmm. It is the history. It is our, um, along with that axis of cancer, um, ancestry, uh, structure. And so if you don't, once you have to know it in order to break it, almost, it's like, I think Picasso was a great artist, but he knew anatomy and then he could shift Well, it's it. true. I mean, and I was going to use Picasso as an example, too, because we know him for his, you know, cubist phase, etc. But I have seen exquisite classical works, paintings by Picasso that they're flawless in the traditional classical style. And then from that base, he went on to do his other things. And, you know, even if he didn't have that base, his modern work would still be amazing. But knowing that he had the capacity to refine that craft to such a level and then create his own thing is, you know, it's very profound. He was prolific. I mean, prolific. Amazingly. Yes. Yeah. There was a great exhibit here in Seattle with Picasso. It was exciting. No, that's, yeah. So knowing traditions, knowing it, it's it's an important time to to do that dream i you know what you're saying is like okay because at one time pisces was ruled by jupiter you know for tradition i mean i say one time because ultimately i'm a modern astrologer mm-hmm. but still and it, amazingly it's square itself then you might say um in with with uh 
Jupiter. And of course, squares are that tension that we're talking about of, of, of finding a dynamic resolution. Mm-hmm. So, and then Saturn, uh, you know, ruled Aquarius, but Aquarius doesn't seem to be so. I was looking it up. Okay, so in other words, it would have been February 3rd, 1468. Um, was that? Oh, that was the man. That's when he was born. Oh, Are that's no, that's. Yeah, and it doesn't say exactly. Uh, no, maybe it is. Yeah. February 3rd, well, 1468. I'm going to look that up right now and find out what it is. We have a couple of seconds here. Maybe I can do it quick. Uh, I'll just do da, X. Were you looking up, did you look up Gutenberg? Is that what February? Yeah. Did I say, what date did I give you? Actually, I think that maybe was his death date, February 3rd, 1468. Oh, God. They don't have his birth date, just that he was born in the 1400s. Oh. Or maybe he was born in 1400 and he lived to be 68. Okay. Well, it's got to be when the first book happened. They have to have uh, Gutenberg. The Gutenberg Bible. Bible. Okay. Bible printed. When? Oops. Oh, 1454 or 55. Okay. Well, let's say it was. We're going to run out of time pretty quick here, but. Let's see. Like food for future thought. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I will say real quickly, next week we're having Wendy Wyrot, and we're going to be talking about twin mythologies. And Wendy is an astrologer here, a traditional shamanic spiritual archetypal astrologer from the local area in Redmond, I believe, Bellevue. And so that'll be involving many twin mythologies and you are listening to talk cosmos this is june 1st repeating on the 8th in case you're listening then with petra tauschert from sebastopol california and check her out on the web i'm not my on my bio here Um, and you can find out how to reach her for any consultations and all of that so we have there's something you want to say while I look this date up. Go ahead. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, just looking over my notes, some more thoughts about Gemini is that, um, you know, it's it's immutable air. And so we know that the mutability means that it changes things. And the way that Gemini changes things is by thinking about them. And that much like the wind, a Gemini is constantly changing direction and changing temperatures as a way of adapting and learning about life. So this is important. In other words, if one is flexible right now and their dreams and their, their, their visions are shifting that, that core conditioning that they're having, you know, opening up new uh, belief structures, that's part of the process. That's very important. It is. And one of the ways really to work with astrology is that we know that each sign is a reaction to the sign before it. And that it's important that we fully inhabit and embody each of the archetypes as we pass through them as a way of really living our lives to the fullest in a certain sense. And the new moon is really the fullest expression of a sign because when we get to the full moon, the new moon is the fullest expression. The full moon has the opposite sign as the full moon. So we're dealing with the, the dyad then. Ooh. But the conjunction is the double. Yeah, well, talking about that, 
it was in air it, the the the, uh, the the nodes were in Libra Aries and the moon for whatever I did was conjunct the sun. Okay, at that well, time. That sounds like a new moon. Thanks, yeah. Sue. This has been really great. <laughs> oh, thank you, Petra. All right. Until again. And thanks, everybody, for coming and listening. Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars.